Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we are discussing the 17th parak of Sefer Yehoshua. And here we continue to learn about the inheritance of the tribes of Yosef, specifically Menashe. We get a special visit from the daughters of Tzalafchad, whose father, you will recall, died in the Midbar and had no male heirs. So the daughters came to Moshe and said it's unjust that their father would have no legacy in the land and that they would not receive any uh, portion in the land just because he had no male heirs. And so Hashem instructs Moshe to grant the daughters their father's inheritance. This is something I want to note that Chazal is careful to applaud. Chazal sings the praises of the daughters of Tzalafchad for having acted and uh, asserted themselves in this way. And now, in good Sefer Yehoshua fashion, we get closure on that story, and we see that Yehoshua delivers on the promises made under Moshe's leadership. And then, after that episode, we hit a bit of a, of a strange uh, few psukim. If you listen to yesterday's podcast, I made a big deal out of the double inheritance given to Yosef, with both Ephraim and Menashe receiving a portion. And this double portion for Yosef reflects Yosef's unique status as a Bechor with an asterisk. He's a Bechor with an asterisk. So now, knowing that Yosef receives this double portion, you will indeed find it quite strange uh, what we learn in Pasuk Yudalit. There, the B'nai Yosef approach Yehoshua and they say, Madua nasata li nachala goral echad. Why is it that you gave me one portion? The children of Yosef complain that they only get one portion. And yet it seems apparent that that's not the case. Ephraim and Menashe each receive their own portion. So how do we make sense of this? Rashi suggests that even though it says B'nai Yosef, the children of Yosef, seeming to refer to both Ephraim and Menashe, it really is only referring here to Menashe, who feels that he alone deserves a double portion. And that might seem unreasonable. If you consider it, Ephraim and Menashe are the double portion of Yosef. That's already kind of a, a, a bonus. And now Menashe himself is asking for an additional portion. That seems very strange. It seems um, perhaps out of line. But Rashi gives another key piece of information here, and, Ra- and Radak fleshes it out even more, and that is that the tribal allotments were divided based on the size of the tribes, with a certain amount of land per person. And, and this is a key point, it was done based on the size of the tribe when they left Egypt. Not the generation entering the land, but the generation that left Egypt. And interestingly, so putting this all together, we find that the census at Midbar Sinai, which was two years into the Midbar, Menashe had 32,000 men available for army service. And in the census in year 40, they had 52,000 men. So that's about, uh, it's really more than, because it's 52,700. So it's, it's over 20,000 uh, additional men for their standing army, which reflects, if we extrapolate out to their whole population, massive growth. And it's really growth that's unparalleled by any other tribe. In fact, some tribes have less men in their standing army in year 40 than they did in year 2. Therefore, explains Rashi, Menashe was complaining that they had outgrown the land that was allotted to them. They were given a certain portion of the land based on 
the number of people that left Egypt, but their explosion in population made it, that piece of land, now too small for them to inherit. And so, that was Menashe's complaint. To be sure, there are other ways of reading who is complaining here, both Ephraim and Menashe. Um, there's other ways of explaining why they're complaining, and uh, there are a whole host of approaches. If you have time and uh, the tools, I would recommend reading various Mepharshim who, who each deal with this in a different way. But I find this reading to be very thought-provoking because here we have Menashe, who is a Bechor, and he's asking for a double portion. That's, that's something that we need to take note of. I could be overreading this, but to me, that sends out flares a Bechor who feels that he himself should be receiving a double portion. Plus, and this may be super overreading, but Yehoshua, uh, who is an Ephraimite, right? He's from the tribe of Ephraim, is the one who says no. And here I will remind you of the iconic moment when Yaakov uh, is blessing his grandchildren, Ephraim and Menashe, and uh, Yosef arranges them such that uh, the Bechor, um, um, Menashe will be in uh, the, the, under the right hand of Yaakov, and Ephraim will be under the left hand, uh, showing a pride of place to the true Bechor, who is Menashe. And Yaakov switches his hands, and he puts his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Menashe. So there is some kind of deep uh, conflict here as well regarding who is going to be the true Bechor. Um, and so in that context, Menashe reaching for this double portion and Yehoshua from Ephraim uh, being the one to turn them down, to me, feels like it's highly significant. And I want to leave that uh, for you to consider. I want to pivot to make another note um, on a, uh, an important theme that expresses itself in this parak. Yehoshua says no to Menashe, or perhaps both to Ephraim and Menashe, and he essentially says, you have plenty of land, but in order for it to be useful, you need to conquer the local uh, Canaanite population, and you need to clear forest so that there'll be usable areas. And in instructing them with these two um, challenges to, to uh, conquer the resident population and clear the land, deforest it so that it'll be usable, so he is really referencing the two major tasks that we've been discussing for the past few prak, and we focus on this in Parak uh, Yud Gimel in particular, uh, the two major tasks facing the Bnei Israel. One is conquering the land, and the second is settling the land. And here, I'd like to make a note that was uh, made by Rabbi Michael Hatton in his wonderful book on Sefer Yehoshua, uh, and that is that Sefer Yehoshua uh, seems to place an emphasis on the role of women in particular in the settling of the land of Canaan. We first see this a few prakim back uh, in the settling of the tribe of Yehuda. So the daughter of Caliph, Achsa, she's initially presented to us as this kind of uh, damsel in distress, right? Caliph says, anyone who conquers Kiryat Sefer can marry my daughter. So she's very passive initially. Uh, but then, uh, up once she is married, we find that she pushes her husband, Anil ben Kenaz, to claim more land uh, for them to settle. So she is a, 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 an important actor and is assertive in terms of the settling of the land. And here too, 
when in the context of the tribe of Menashe, we re-encounter the daughters of Tzalafchad, again, the, the Sefer is drawing our attention to the role of women uh, in um, being powerful actors in this important component of settling Canaan. And so, while the conquest of the land of Israel is the province of men, we find that the equally significant and difficult task of settling the land falls also and is championed by women. In this case, Achsa and the daughters of Tzalafchad, Machla, Noah, Chagla, Milka, and Tirza. That's it for today. Chazak ve'matz and happy learning.